And we are live on Parapost Network. Welcome to Paranormal, the new normal. And this week, I've been looking forward to this week for a long, long time. Since I started the show, basically. Because I have a legend in the paranormal world in my mind. <laughs> and probably in a lot of other people's mind, too. Because I believe the Small Town Monsters community on Facebook has a lot of members. So, and yes, I just kind of gave it away. My guest is Mark Matsky of Small Town Monsters, of Monsteropolis, and of Sasquatch. Yes. Yes. Um, he's a busy man, just like I am, but multiple, <laughs> multiple, multiple shows, but we make it work. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for having me on, Jeremy. This is great. Oh, my pleasure, man. I Between you and Seth, I've wanted to talk to both of you for so long. But <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So why don't you tell the listeners just what it is Small Town Monsters does, because I'm sure you can say it better than I can. Yeah. Well, Small Town Monsters is an independent production company that is most of all concerned with how strange and unusual events affect uh, locations, typically small towns or regions of the United States and uh, sometimes Canada, uh, of course. And uh, sort of the, the crossover between um, just cryptid creatures and unexplained events on one hand and the impact that it has on people's lives. And of course, you know, if you, you've seen the, some of our, our productions and so forth, we pay a lot of attention to the people and sort of the ongoing effect it has when something strange happens to you or your family. Uh, can sometimes be profound and can change the trajectory of a person's life. So we're interested in that. We're interested in the histories of these places, uh, sort of the the general background of uh, the small towns across the country and how their fortunes have changed. And especially when there is a legend or a, a, a weird happening in a, a small town or a, a backwoods region of the country, if they're able to sort of latch onto that story as a way of of sort of revitalizing that community. So we're interested in all of that. Uh, we're, we do that primarily through, uh, you know, the, the medium of documentary film, but also some podcasting, of course, and announcements were just made today, as a matter of fact, about Small Town Monsters Publishing which is yes. a publishing arm, uh, getting dipping our toe into uh, the book field, which is something near and dear to my heart. So that's just a little bit of the background there. <laughs> yes, I, as I said, Small Town Monsters is a very, very busy company. And I mean, how long did it go without an episode of Monsteropolis over the last couple months, I think? Yeah, there was it was about a, a month to five week span just because all of the the all the principal people having to do with Monsteropolis were either at home or in Alaska on a, a two week shoot. So when those things happen, you know, something has to take priority. And um, right now that's the films, you know, the, the films yeah. are the main thing and, and the YouTube content as well, uh, has become a real mainstay uh, for STM. Yeah, I mean, which 
if I'm not mistaken, you guys were up in Alaska filming your last part of the Bigfoot trilogy you guys have been working on for the last yeah. five, five, six years? Yeah, and the thing that's interesting about that particular shoot is that um, there were projects happening concurrently, uh, which is to say that a number of projects, you know, well, uh, two or three were filming at one time with the addition of, you know, the thing that people have seen, hopefully by now, is Alex and Eli's project uh, from Beyond the Trail. And there's more coming, you know, more of a a polished documentary, I guess you would say, or the ones that people are used to seeing from STM. And then another project beyond that, that sort of grew spontaneously in what was encountered while the crew was out there. Uh, just something they kept hearing about and so forth. And there's not a whole lot more I can say about that, but there's, there's, there's more coming that is um, both Bigfoot and maybe not so much Bigfoot related having to do with alaska interesting i mean i know a few cryptids from alaska that have legends of being up there and if it's what i hope it is i i hope (laughs) if it's what i hope it is i will be very happy when it comes out which yeah because i because thanks to cryptic crate who does sponsor this show i and uh i've been a subscriber for years so i have a bunch of small town monster dvds that came in cryptic crates Mm -hmm. and i bought a bunch more on amazon prime as well just because I've been trying to watch through them, but, you know, being on other podcasts where you have to watch 100 movies a month, it's, it gets kind of hard to put things in uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I get the it. schedule. For but sure. I, right now, am up to On the Trail of UFOs. That's, that's oh, the last okay. one. I, yeah. Which nice. it amazingly done, as always. I mean, I love all, I mean, I like how the styles change, too, though, from, like, the earlier STM films to, like, the newer ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's nice to see, like, other people talking. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Lyle Blackburn. He's a interesting guy to to have to like tell you stories. He is mm-hmm. that voice that just makes you want to listen and listen. But sure, it's nice to see different faces every every once in a while too. But it's just nice to see things evolve like that, and just shows that how much you guys are growing, which is amazing. Because I, have, I mean, like I said, I'm a huge fan, and you guys are part of the reason I got back into the paranormal between mm-hmm. you and Monsters Among Us podcast. So, but. Oof. Uh, I gotta say, the one I am looking forward to watching the most, um, dying to see, but I just haven't found the time yet, is How the Rougarou. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which, because I, as anybody who listens to my show knows, I'm a huge Dogman fan. Like, I'm a huge Dogman lover. I've been trying to get Dogman, people who have actually had encounters with Dogman on here for a while. I've had one story so far, but nothing substantial that I want to have yet. Mm-hmm. But I love Dogman. I mean, just everything about them and so that was all shot down in new orleans in the surrounding area right yeah that's right and uh homa louisiana played a big role in that interestingly it wasn't very long after the crew was down there for principal filming that uh, one of the big hurricanes blew in and really did extensive damage on that entire region and a number of the places that are in uh, in the the film uh, don't exist the way that they're captured on film anymore. So it was it's a kind of a a true documentary in the sense that it documents a place that is not the same just due to natural causes. But the the lore down there is is long 
and and there's lots of stories. What was really interesting, I think, for the crew was to see how there was a, along with the Rougarou stories, there were also Bigfoot accounts and um, sort of bumping up against one another in an interesting way. And uh, part of the, not to spoil things since you haven't seen it yet, but the um, part of the story itself has to do with the land and the way that the, the ocean itself is reclaiming uh, a lot of the land that used to be prime sighting location. So there's a lot of questions that accompany that. It's, it's, uh, it's a really, it's a really good one. It's so different. You know, it's an entirely different setting than say Pacific Northwest or the Adirondacks or these heavily wooded places. Um, you know, the, the bayou land of Louisiana is just different, um, in many oh, ways. God, yeah. I mean, I, I actually am originally from Kingston, New York. So mm -hmm. all, all the all the ones you guys shoot in the Adirondacks, Catskills is like right in my backyard in yeah. a way, kind of. I mean, not exactly because it's still a couple hours drive north. Yeah, yeah. We were at the foot the foot the foothills of the Catskills growing up. So, mm -hmm. and I, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't spend too much time in the woods. I'm not a woods kid, but I, even back then as a kid, I wanted to see something and just yeah. I lived in the suburb. I lived in the suburbs. It wasn't going to happen. <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. Right. I mean. It would have been awesome, but it wasn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. So, but you said Pacific Northwest, and that's actually the other one I'm dying to see is on the trail, Bigfoot, the one you guys did out on the Olympic project yes. area. Yeah. Because I, I, I heard tale on the podcast that you guys might actually found some good evidence. Yeah. The discovery on the trail of Bigfoot, the discovery, you know, took us back out to the Olympic Peninsula. And we were hosted out there by the members of the Olympic Project who opened their research facility to us and took us out to the site of the, the nests, you know, the infamous nest site. And uh, part of what's revealed in discovery is the fact that there may be more than one nest site. And uh, that only makes sense. We're talking about a real biological reality you know, making its home in in the forests, it would hold that they would make more than one site. Uh, and so that was extraordinary to be able to see what's left over there with our own eyes. And uh, that, all that is to say, it's it's changed significantly since the time that it was first discovered. You know, it was made the, the nests in question were made out of huckleberry branches broken off of bushes. And so, of course, you know, once they're broken off and placed, they have a limited shelf life at that point. So we were able to see remnants of it, but it, it wasn't just seeing the remnants that was so awe-inspiring, but also the location in which they were found and how it just seemed utterly unlikely uh, that anyone would go down there for any reason, much less to build huckleberry nests in the midst of more huckleberry bushes yeah. on, the, on the side of a slope. I mean, it just, it, it begged the question of, you know, uh, how likely, if people would look at that and say, well, it's obviously a hoax. Well, to what end? Who did they hope would find it? because it was it was an accident that they were found by a surveyor um 
but yeah, that was an unbelievable trip. I, I personally, that's one of my favorite places on earth is the Olympic Peninsula. It's so beautiful and rugged. And, uh, you know, one of the few national parks that doesn't have a road that goes through it. Uh, there's roads that go around it and you can go into it to a certain degree, but you're not going to drive through the Olympics. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's something special about that. Yeah. I mean, it kind of feels like it kind of gives you that like untouched by man feeling that yeah. you can't find in, unless you're in really remote places nowadays. I mean, mm-hmm. either jungles in South America or Africa, or basically maybe Russian freaking <laughs> tundra like that. yeah yeah which i i mean i actually had a guest tell me the other day that about stories of boy mammoths being seen on the russian tundra hmm. which yeah i could possibly believe i mean <laughs> sure. that gets into that gets into the whole hollow earth theory maybe but mm-hmm. that's a whole nother wormhole <laughs> that, yeah that's fascinating well, actually actually has SDM ever thought about doing a documentary about the hollow earth theory? Oh, I'm sure it's come up and sort of, I, it's something that we've, we've somewhat uh, explored somewhere on a podcast. I remember having yeah, I do remember a loose conversation. Um, and certainly, I mean, again, not to, not to spoil things too much, but um, caves and cave systems comes up in a number of topics that have been covered by STM. Um, and s- somewhat surprisingly, you know, not limited to like cryptid creatures, but also the UFO phenomena. So it certainly yeah. is, that's something we've scratched the surface of. And I would have to, I would have to guess that we have to deal with it some more because it's, it's a topic that won't go away and it shouldn't go away because a lot of the answers might be right under our feet, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's that meme that goes around Facebook where it's a map of the cave systems in the eastern United States and a, compared to the missing 411 people. Yeah, oh, and sure. It, it's trippy how close everything is, and it's like, that just kind of explains things, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's something going on in those caves. I don't know what yeah. it is, but there's, there's something going on in those caves deep in, within. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I... I know, and I know. I had an investigator on here named Lon Strickler from Pennsylvania, Phantoms and Monsters. I don't know if you heard of him, but mm-hmm. oh yeah, yep, yeah. I mean, oh well, yeah. He said he worked with you guys a couple times, but yeah, he. I mean, he talked about having sightings of dogmen and dragons near mining caves in Pennsylvania. So, mm-hmm. which when he said dragons, I was like, <laughs> am I am I on Supernatural or Harry Potter? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm a big proponent for Macaulay and Bembe, so I mean, mm-hmm. dragons are just the next step in that line. But yeah, yeah. Well, and oddly, you know, on there's a, a dragon story that comes out of the Chestnut Ridge area in Southwest Pennsylvania. Yeah, and uh, that's a, a case that Stan Gordon has looked into and talked to the principal witness. It's bizarre, but you know the taken at face value the chestnut ridge has just got a like a cornucopia of really yeah. really off the off the charts weird stories and the, seeing a dragon fly over you i think is definitely one of those those kind of stories 
I mean, what if that's what people are seeing out west, though, too, and they're just classifying it as Thunderbirds or Pterodactyls? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's it's possible. I, I mean, it's in so many history books and legends that dragons existed that they kind of had to at some point, whether yeah. they all got killed off like we believe or they never existed, or if they do still exist, they just got better at hiding like a lot of cryptids mm-hmm. did because... <laughs> humans are idiots and (laughs) yeah and they just want to kill everything they see right right i mean but it's just weird i i don't know i mean a lot of people also say like the whole everything like that is ultra terrestrial that they're popping in now dimensional rifts like in weak spots i mean Mm -hmm. i am not a fan of that theory personally because it just it's too much of a easy say all like Oh, everything's ultra terrestrial. Bigfoot, dogmen, yeah, Thunderbirds. Everything's mm-hmm. ultra terrestrial. Aliens are ultra terrestrial, and they come through. I mean, I can believe that part, but because that would explain a lot with aliens. But everything else, I mean, uh, I don't know. It just seems too much of an easy catch-all. But yeah, no, I understand what you're saying, and I think there's there's a lot to that. Everyone wants the um, well. Some folks call that the unified theory or the theory yeah. of everything. Uh, it would be nice if we could tie it all up in in one package like that. Um, but there's also, in the, on the other hand, it, there's the idea that um, it, it's it, like you said, it's too easy and it's too convenient to explain one mystery with another. But there's no, that's not proof. <laughs> it doesn't prove anything. It just is a way of of getting at the the deeper problem. But you know, I. Folks like John Keel, for example, who I believe coined that term ultra terrestrial. I believe he did, I, yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, just trying to think of what might be behind it all. And that's I, I, fine to think of that. I think it's it's a good mental exercise, but it I, I I'm sort of with you. I don't think it explains everything. And in the case I mean, of like dragons, for example, that's a perfect example where the antecedent of that could have very well been a surviving sort of relic dinosaur, perhaps that, that human beings came into contact with and preserved that story um, down through time. Uh, you know, we, we don't know. And that's the bottom line, but I, I mean, they could be in the same class or species as sea lake monsters technically. Cause yeah, I mean, the Asians had dragons that had, they weren't like the European dragons. They were look like more like snakes. I mean, mm-hmm. and I mean, not all the dragons are going to be the like European medieval dragons with the big wings, like straight, straight out of Harry Potter. I mean, they're not going to look yeah. like that in real life. They're yeah. going to be more bird-like in appearance almost because dinosaurs were birds kind of mm-hmm. in a way more than the reptiles. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I don't know. I mean, it would explain a lot. I mean, I did sea monsters i mean i that's a whole nother story i mean mm-hmm. that goes into everything with the whole what if the bottom of the ocean really does have a layer that like certain things can't escape through but other things can't like i mean they touched on it in the meg kind of but mm-hmm. just as a way to explain it but i don't know i mean there's just too much there's too many stories about it that's just i had to believe everything i i, I don't know i, I find I, I find it hard to not believe in anything because everything there's so much evidence of i mean all you got to yeah. do is lo- listen and look and you'll find evidence of everything. It's just crazy. I mean, sure. Well, and you know, the, the ocean, for example, it's so vast and so yeah. unexplored. 
know, we really don't have much of an idea of what's down there. Uh, let's be honest. There, it's only what comes to the surface, pretty much, that we can even talk about. Um, and I'm sure, like for example, the people who saw the Komodo dragon for the first time, yeah, probably thought you know they were seeing a dinosaur like running towards them on the beach or whatever. And uh, there are those sort of real world creatures that we continue to talk about. Um, the The giant squid was thought of as a legendary creature until it showed up on deep sea cameras. I, it's yeah, I mean, it, things I mean, happen. It, they continue to happen. Yeah, which it totally is. Oh, um, I mean, and plus, if you look at it, sharks are coming closer and closer to land now. Mm-hmm. I mean, what if things are starting to be able to come up more because of global warming and everything? And what if these creatures are scaring like the original predators we knew, sharks, closer mm-hmm. to land because of that? I mean. Yeah, it's it's one possibility. It's a hundred percent a possibility, but sure. I mean, I'd like to personally believe the megalodon exists. I don't. I know there's not really proof. There's, I mean, there has been some proof though, because people have taken mm-hmm. pictures of some things and they're like, "That is too big to be a shark we've identified in the past." Like, yeah, but but they can't catch it. Like it, it disappears as fast as it's seen. Right. I mean, and plus, look at the Greenland shark. It was just discovered after being. Ex- thought to be extinct for what 500 years i think or a thousand yeah yes it's just just, i mean we're still learning about this world that's why i understand why you like i understand why you like the no man land like parts of the world that you've been to it's just Mm -hmm. i mean i've heard alaska is gorgeous i don't know if i'll ever get a chance to actually go up there but i would Mm -hmm. love to i mean it it looks like a gorgeous place to be Mm -hmm. and and I mean, I've heard stories. I've heard stories on other podcasts about encounters in Alaska too, with uh, certain dog-themed cryptids. But which is kind of where I'm hoping that your thing you're talking about is going. But uh-huh. we'll see in the future. Yeah. I'll have to listen. I'll have to listen to Monsteropolis and yes, keep you listening to hear more details. Yeah. Which actually, that is something I did want to ask you about because I did hear in the last episode about the books coming out, the publishing. Right. Have you guys announced at all what? the books are going to be about or is that still hush hush no no the, the first two titles were announced today as oh, okay. a matter of fact on the small town monsters all the all the socials you know all those places and huh. the, the what's really exciting is the first title to talk about is by bruce hallenbeck uh, who's featured in on the trail of bigfoot um the journey which is the adirondacks trip yeah uh bruce hallenbeck is probably the the most uh he has the most documented history of cases on the kinderhook creature uh from the kinderhook area of the hudson valley and so this is and he has that documentation because many of the sightings of that creature took place within his own family uh between himself family friends i believe his his mother uh, had and his sister had their own encounters with the creature, so that that's going to be the first title uh, this fall is the Kinderhook creature by Bruce Hallenbeck, a personal remembrance of that time in history when uh, the Kinderhook creature was being sighted, reported in the local paper. Uh, that of course, when that when that cycle begins, then other people step forward with their own sightings. 
And the fact that these sightings took place in Kinderhook is very interesting because it's not necessarily mountainous. It's not the first place you would think of that would be a Bigfoot hotspot. But there is enough green space connecting it to the Adirondacks and moving northward and, and also northeast into uh, extreme western Massachusetts that there's a there's some viability there for a mystery creature to kind of go back and forth uh, if they're sort of migrating along and following the waterways. So that's that's the first title. Um, and we're really excited about that because as we said, Bruce, is featured in on the trail of Bigfoot, the journey, and he is uh, an accomplished author in his own right. Uh, not only has he written on Bigfoot before, but he's also uh, a film historian and has written about uh, B movies and science fiction films and the uh, Hammer films, uh, Hammer horror, and is a kind of a world class historian of those films. So we're really excited to have him on the STM imprint, sort of batting lead off for us. We think that'll be a real strong intro to what we want to do with our publishing. Oh, I mean, it seems, it definitely seems like it will be. I mean, and it's funny because the Kinderhook area is actually kind of halfway between where I grew up and where I live now. Yeah. So, okay. So, I mean, eh, I don't know. I live, I live in, uh, central western massachusetts now and i could easily see a bigfoot popping out of my backyard any day because i mean it's all it's a lot of woods and the lemons the lemonster state forest which is like 15 minutes south uh east of me is a known bigfoot hotspot and i mean a lot of well a lot of massachusetts is i mean the bridgewater triangle especially which yeah my my wife actually lived in the bridgewater triangle before we moved in together and okay. I I spent a lot of time down there, like exploring oh, the the woods where they're in, like Freetown State Forest and everything else. Yeah. And, oh gosh. And there, I mean, there's even a historical corn. What the hell they do on it? A corn crushing rock on her on her grandfather's property that he originally oh. owned. That is by the tribe that got slaughtered in the Bridgewater Triangle, making the legend. Oh my happen. goodness! Wow. So it's yeah, and I'll tell you, I mean. The house she lived in was straight up built on an Indian, a Native American burial ground. So hmm. it's a creepy place. You stand outside at night in the backyard and you just feel like you're being watched by something. Mm -hmm. Like it's mm -hmm. so, and you hear something and you just jump like five feet high. We've seen you. <laughs> we, we've seen UFOs off her back porch. My stepson actually pointed out to us like that stars were moving, and I was like, no. "Oh wow!" I mean, and she straight up thinks she's been abducted too in the past. I mean, it's just. We've, we've caught things outside her window on ca on the camera in her room that was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like big black hulking figures like on a second story roof. Which I can't I can't explain how that I can't explain how that happened. Right. I mean that's yeah. that's not Bigfoot. That's not Bigfoot. That's all I can say. Yeah. But yeah. I'm like, that's coming that's come, something coming down. That's not something climbing up. But that would get your attention for sure. Yeah. I I'm jealous because that's that's an area I've not been to. I'd love to make a trip to the Bridgewater Triangle sometime. Oh, I I've been saying for a long time, I want small town monsters to make a Bridgewater Triangle documentary. Like, cause yeah. there, there was one back in the nineties, but it's right. a very, it's a very plain and dry documentary. It's not like, mm. it's not, it doesn't keep you watching like your guys do. Like, it's not like action. It's just mm -hmm. somebody talking over pictures, <laughs> mm -hmm. but yeah. Yeah. But, 
So, I mean, it'd be awesome if someone actually did a new one on it. There's so much out there, too. I mean, Puckwudgies, Bigfoot, UFOs, sure. giants, giant snakes. I mean, it's a cornucopia of paranormal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you said, I mean, it it's, it's, goes into the deep history of this country and uh, and even predates you know the united states the the history that's out there so it's there's just so much going on in that location you're right i think it's probably honestly it's probably ine- inevitable that at some point yeah sdm does something with that because it's um something we love talking about you know in the very early episodes of monsteropolis we did a whole bridgewater triangle show and spent probably 15 minutes just talking about the Native American history and uh, sort of the uneasy uh, alliances with the explorers and, you know, how how some of the, the tribes wanted to trade and others resented the fact that there were New World people here. And it was just a, a real contentious time. Very interesting historically. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is. I that's one of my favorite parts of history is the whole colonization of well the whole world basically by mm-hmm. Europeans. But I mean, it's so brutal and horrible, but it's yeah. just, just shows you the true face of humans. That's the true face of humans right there. But, mm-hmm. and I mean, the, the, the whole Bridgewater triangle thing is just so, I mean, and actually I, I want to say it was episode five or six of monster office. You guys talked about yeah. that. I, I yeah. feel like it was, I feel like it was, I mean, no, you're I, right. That's right around there. Yeah. I binge. I think I, I. I'm pretty sure I binged the first like 12, 13 episodes <laughs> like in two days. So oh, I yes. do. I do have very good recollection for those episodes. Okay. Yeah. Back that's when, awesome. Back when you guys still had the theme song. Or right. The, the entry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which which yeah. I gotta admit, I kind of miss. It was funny how Seth would always change it up, but. Right. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I mean, whenever whenever it said put put on your clown paint. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, is that a Juggalo reference? Like, that's the only thing I can think of it is being is a Juggalo reference. I'm like, uh-huh. I'm like, they're in Ohio. Ohio's not that big a Juggalo scene, I don't think. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. That's like, I mean, being one myself, that's just where my mind went. But mm-hmm. so yeah, you'd have to ask Seth about that one. I'm not sure <laughs> what he had in mind. So what were you saying the second book was announced to be? Oh, yeah. So the second book is a book by one of the moth boys uh, if you are tuned into moth boys podcasts and you know their whole scene i've heard it of them. is yeah it's a book by um michael strayer and illustrated by uh bolly raven it's called curious creatures the vegetable man and it really is it's the beginning of a series for kids um it's really intended for young readers. And the idea is that um, they go a lot like small town monsters does for documentaries. The book series goes around to different locations and kind of gets to know the local cryptid. Sometimes uh, those are reality. And I imagine sometimes those will be just, you know, imaginative characters, but um so that you can see what, what we're trying to do is diversify and hit yeah. a number of target audiences. Uh, certainly when you go to cryptid, conf- cryptid conferences and things of that nature, uh, Bigfoot conferences in particular, but, but sort of like CryptidCon and the others, 
it's inevitable that you see uh, kids and families that are there. So we want to be able to give give them something that they can enjoy and maybe whet their appetite for um, taking the next step into maybe a little more serious inquiry into these topics. But uh, yeah, so so Mike Strayer, he's one of the Moth Boys, and he is going to be launching what we hope is going to be a series of books moving uh, moving forward. Yeah, which, I mean, it's a great thing for kids because, I mean, I wish I had that when I was a kid because yeah. I, I had the one book in the library on Bigfoot, Loch Ness, and all the basic cryptids of the 90s. Yeah, and then and then at the end there was a little section about what if dinosaurs still exist. But mm -hmm. other than yeah. that, like that's all we had until like the early two thousands when they really like started pumping out the reality shows and the like monsters and mysteries in America or even some of the unsolved uh, mysteries like and of course Monster Quest when it came out finally. But yeah. even Mon even Monster Quest is kind of like. We're going to tease you with this for an hour, but we're not going to actually say anything about it. Right. Yeah. But exactly. And yeah. I mean, it, it's it's funny because that was that book reminded me of something. I can't think of what it is. It's, God. I mean, I'm definitely going to get that book just for, to read to my kids because I want sure. them to be. But oh, well, actually, it's funny you say that, that the kids are getting into it because I was on Monsters Among Us uh, live program last halloween and i got oh, beat yeah. in the, i got beat in the trivia portion by a kid <laughs> yeah like, by like i can two believe points. it by yeah. like two by like two points but i bowed down and i was just like i respect you i respect you if yeah. you're your age if you know all this stuff i respect you because some of yes. these questions i could even think of like he must study paranormal anytime he's not in real school but yeah yeah and plus i mean i've heard of the cryptid kid who's at conventions and stuff he was on uh, i forget the name of the podcast it was two southern guys there they stopped doing it though because the one got sick mm, okay it was a fun it was a funny podcast my god yeah i got into yeah. it got into monstropsis basically basically uh i forget what it's called actually i should look into them again but so any future movie ideas you that you guys do have that you can actually talk about or is it all still in oh well sure i mean um one that just launched on youtube five days ago is sasquatch unearthed the ridge and that's the that was the first episode and what's going to be a multi-episode approach and sort of a return to the chestnut ridge um highlighting the work of people like stan gordon eric altman uh, ron murphy and others uh we're excited about that that just got started i mean it, it's only it's not been out for a week uh but that's one that i'm uh, as far as the um part of the story is concerned eli watson and i are collaborating on that uh, to work on the the narrative part of how the story gets told and that's that falls largely on eli to do uh, but he he gives me some ideas for the narration, and I sort of uh, rework some of it and add things in that I know about the ridge. And then um, I'm doing the narration on that, which I'm always excited about doing. Uh, I love contributing in that way uh, to the documentaries. And um, 
So that's that's definitely just getting started. That's free on YouTube for anyone to watch. Um, Beyond the Trail continues to go strong. Uh, Eli and Alex Petikoff are just uh, going great guns right now. And, uh, you know, it's the, I love to watch that, even though I, you know, I know those guys uh, pretty well at this point, but I love to watch it because it's just like, they're going to so many places that I may or may not ever be able to go myself. And just to see it through their eyes and to kind of like the, the one that sticks in my mind is the Bluff Creek episode, you know, that who knows if I'll ever make it to Bluff Creek, but they did. And they, through their eyes, you can sort of see what it's like there. So um, other future projects, I think the one that's close to being wrapped is the Jersey Devil. And I think people are really going to be surprised by that one because whatever they're thinking it's going to be, it's probably not, uh, it's probably not close to what they imagine our documentary on the Jersey Devil is going to turn out like. Uh, and I, I say that for a couple of reasons, one of which is um, for the first time in our history, we worked with professional actors for the recreation scenes. And so what they bring to the table in terms of acting chops and making things, making things seem realistic in the moment is just phenomenal. And I can't wait for people to see the job that they did in front of the cameras. It's going to bring a lot of, especially like the historical elements of the Jersey Devil legend and story to life. Yeah, which I mean, I'm interested to see that too because the Jersey Devil is such a like a lot of people consider it like a one-off story. Like they don't think oh, it's right yeah. ongoing. But I, I mean, I've heard call-ins on podcasts of people saying they think they were around it or saw it. The whole hearing the train thing when it's coming, but yeah, which I don't know how that works. But I mean, <laughs> no, the Jersey Devil is interesting. I mean. I always been fascinated by it being from New York and being so close to Jersey. And it's funny how many people don't realize that that's what the hockey team's named after. But yeah, I, right. Exactly. I've had, I've had so many people be like, that's what's named after. I'm like, what did you think you, they call them the Jersey devils for you think? Yeah. Hell, I mean, yes, some people consider New Jersey hell, but I, I don't, <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't think that's what they were uh, implying with that. Right. Yeah. No. But, yeah. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And I think, um, a very excellent book was written by Brian Regal about the Jersey Devil legend. And uh, they, Seth was able to get an interview with Brian, and that's in the documentary. So it's it's going to be good. And, and you're right. It's such a specific story, such a historical story, and tied into legend. Uh, you know, there's a lot of questions with that, of course. But um, it's going to – I like it. I just – like this particular doc a lot and i think once it comes out people will see why yeah i mean is it is it going to be kind of almost similar in way to the way you guys did the bell witch one because that's like a one-off too it's not like a massive worldwide phenomenon yeah yeah i think that's fair to say it, it will bear a lot of resemblances to bell witch for sure um it, you know, right down to the kind of uh, 
historical recreations that were done yeah. for that. that Which I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah, I remember you guys talking about how much fun mm -hmm. Heather had doing that recreation, but yeah. <laughs> Which I gotta say, I love, I love that you guys started including her in the podcast weekly. It, it mm -hmm. she is so knowledgeable in everything she talks about. I mean, just like you guys are, it's an amazing ad. Which I know when she first came on, some people tried to hate on it in the comments and everything. And I was mm -hmm. like, come on. I'm like, she knows more than you guys in the comments probably do about right. all this. Yes. I mean, I mean, I could listen to her talk about giants for hours and I never, mm -hmm. I never get, I never get bored of it. Like it's just, right. She, she has so much history and everything she does talks about on that show. Yeah. And I keep, I keep meaning to add her podcast to my uh, list of podcasts. I listen to on a weekly basis. I just keep forgetting to do it. But yeah. The more yeah, you the lawyer, the lawyer, you know, know. absolutely yeah heather's phenomenal you know she really is and i've sort of taken upon myself i'm glad that you know we've actually had the opportunity once in a while and and recently for sure it, it's been a lot of the two of us on monsteropolis and I'm, I'm glad for that because it's given heather more of a platform and i've tried to draw her out a little bit because I think at first Heather was a little bit hesitant to kind of get in the mix because yeah. um, she had just had no experience uh, podcasting whatsoever. Of course. Of course. So uh, the more that she's gotten comfortable, I think it's, it's paid dividends for the listener more than anybody, because as you said, once, once she starts to reveal you know, the depth of her knowledge and her ability to connect that to, sort of her her wheelhouse which is ancient history and mythology um you can see why she's made such an impact at small town monsters and will continue to do so because um it, she just has the ability to connect the dots yeah. uh, where where a lot of us and i would say even myself included a lot of the times we don't even know where the dots are <laughs> and she's connecting the dots so she's uh a real asset to STM, but to the larger community as well. I agree hundred percent. And it's, it's funny because I'm the same way with mythology and all, cause I, I, I listen to mythology. I read mythology like all my yeah. life. And I mean, I'm one of the episodes of this podcast. I even got into mythology with someone for a good 45 minutes instead, oh, of, the yeah. instead of the paranormal we were supposed to be talking about. We got into mythology, sure. but I mean, it's all related in a way kind of, I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, Dogmen go back to mythology. Goatmen go back to mythology. Everything yeah. goes back to mythology in some way or form. It's history. But mm -hmm. the only thing that doesn't really is Bigfoot to a degree and maybe Native American mythology, but nothing European at least. Like mm -hmm. not, not the major mythologies people think of. But it just, I mean, at least, unless, yeah. I, unless I'm not thinking of something, but well, that's just, actually something. So some of the scattered green man mythology. Um, yeah. I could mean, be related to Bigfoot. I think uh, David Floyd, who we've had in a number of our documentaries, probably knows more about that than anyone I know personally, and uh, would be would be the person to talk to, because uh, he did come to the Ohio Bigfoot Conference one year, and he did a, a slide presentation on Green Man representations in Great Britain, and it was fascinating. I mean, people were astonished. Uh, at what he was able to to show them, but yeah, I've, by and large, the the mythology does inform the type of things that people are still seeing, and that's that's one of the things that Heather's able to really bring to light 
um, for STM for sure. Yeah, I mean, if there wasn't already so many good ones out there, I would have tried to get a mythology podcast going too. But mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think I can handle a six podcast at this point. Yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah, someday. That's probably that's probably a lot. <laughs> oh, I, I understand completely. Oh, I I haven't had day off from podcasting since June thirtieth. Wow, it's never Man. ending. Yeah. but I I love doing it, so I can't complain. I mean, yeah, that's it's awesome. The, it's the behind the scenes stuff that drives you crazy the editing and all that as i'm mm-hmm. sure you know yep but yeah absolutely you have to have you have to love doing it or it would be just busy work you know yes which so this is a question i've been dying to ask you since you are a reverend if i'm not mistaken yes, that is correct as i've heard on monstropolis you announced that way many times mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah so as a reverend how does that affect you in the paranormal world? Like, I mean, I've heard you talk about this a little, but you, mm-hmm. I never really got like a straight answer in any show. I heard you talk about it. Like do beliefs cross over in a way or. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is something that I have, I've talked about. I feel like at length and I, I try not to bore people with it, but um, for me, I, you know, I come from a background that believes that the Bible is telling the truth about everything that it reports. And if you take it at face value, what it's reporting is a world that's far stranger than most people care to admit. You know, it talks about angels, demons, giants in the earth in the olden days. And I believe that those are, you know, the the genre in which those reports come down to us are not meant to be taken as as myth or legend, but it's reporting actual facts. And it, it makes sort of scientific materialist people very uncomfortable uh, because it's talking about it, there was a time where giants really did walk the earth. And it's talking about angelic beings that can intersect with our lives on occasion and when they do, it'll scare you out of your wits. Um, so for me, it, it to 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 harmonize belief in a biblical worldview with the paranormal or the supernatural, there's not much of a contradiction. In fact, if you take the Bible seriously as a document, it's saying that there is such a thing as a, a supernatural realm. Uh, which I find fascinating, you know, to, to note that a lot of the times I think people expect a pastor to say, oh, you know, there's no such thing as ghosts or, oh, there couldn't be a Bigfoot, but there's nothing in scripture that says there couldn't be. Uh, and more to the point, it says that in our world history, there were large people, larger than average. Yeah. And and uh, so to, to harmonize those two things isn't difficult. And I think that's the surprise for people is that um, now I understand, you know, how things got to that point. I mean, it's a whole historical progression and I won't bore you with it, but there was there were schools of thought uh, coming out of the Enlightenment period going into the 18th and 19th centuries 
where biblical scholars were starting to say there cannot be supernatural intervention in the real world, um, which led to a whole couple of generations of pastors going out into congregations saying things like, there's no such thing as ghosts, or there, there can't, you know, what we have in the Bible are good teachings for people to live by, but you don't have to believe any of the miraculous stuff. And that that's that's kind of a departure from historic Christianity. And in fact, it's a huge departure. But yeah. that's that's what we got in in Western civilization, especially in the late 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. And uh, so I can understand why people say, you know, wow, you're a pastor, but you say you hold the door open for the paranormal and, and weird things happening. And it's it's because my my particular brand of Christianity never let go of uh, the the historic elements that have said, look, there is mystery in the world. And it, it if you if you. Again, if you take the Bible at face value, it simply says straight up, there are things about God and the world and um, a realm that you can't normally see that are simply real. And once in a while, it may break through to you. And uh, not to be totally surprised when it does, because it's there. It's there all the time. So that's that's sort of a, a longer answer maybe than I sometimes give. but. Um, what I have found as a pastor serving in actual congregations is that when people, you know, it's not something I hide, it's not something I advertise either, but it's just a part of who I am. And when people find out about that, probably 95% of the time, they're put at ease and it enables them to talk about things that have happened to them that have always bothered them, but they've never felt like they can talk about. Um, that's happened every church that I've served at, where once they find out that I'm okay talking about Bigfoot, talking about hauntings and things of that nature, they start to unburden themselves because they've been given the impression that that's not something you can talk about in church. And I'm just there to say that's absolutely something you can talk about in church. That's something you can talk about at least to this pastor, and I'm not going to laugh at you. I'm going to take you seriously. So that's sort of my story on that. Which, that's, that answer is amazing. I love that answer. Because, yeah. I mean, as an agnostic person myself, I never wanted to claim myself as atheist, well, except in my rebellious teenage years. But mm -hmm. since then, I've been, I've always classed myself, myself as agnostic because you don't know. I, I never wanted to say I don't know either way. Like, I wanted to have room to learn and sure by doing this podcast the things i've heard that make sense and i've had some weird stuff happen doing this podcast as well i had a medium last week literally tell me there's there's a spirit behind you right now and she thought it was one of my grandfathers oh but, wow which as someone who's never seen a spirit or a ghost in his life but it's mm -hmm. gotten i mean my house has spirits but i've never seen one of them full on my wife and her some of her family have because they're more sensitive to that type of material, but I haven't seen anything. So, I mean, you know, the old saying, those who want to see, don't see, but right. Yeah. Which I mean, I actually have considered myself opening myself up a little bit more to like mm -hmm. mediums and like stuff, trying to open my mind in a way, which 
I don't know. That's a be that's an interesting journey I might be going on soon. But yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I grew up Christian. I grew up in a Christian church, and I loved mm-hmm. it until you know every kid stops loving it when they're in high school and they want to be rebellious. But yeah, because you don't want to believe what mommy and daddy believe. But right, right. But I mean, it's and I had a I had a cool pastor for most of my life. I I mean, he never. I mean, I never really talked to him about paranormal stuff, but he was a cool pastor regardless. And mm-hmm. maybe he would be down with paranormal stuff. I don't know. It's yeah. I I can 100 believe he would be, but it's, sure. But yeah, I mean, I listened to a I listened to a podcast for a while once called Dragons in Genesis, and the whole theory behind it is because there's eight mentions of dragons in Genesis, mm-hmm. which I found that interesting. But I just the host of it was very monotone. I couldn't listen. <laughs> yeah, but, I know. I mean, like, but I, I love I love the idea behind it because the Bible does have fantastical beasts in it that yeah. supposedly existed at one point, but right. And what makes that different from any mythology that there is out there, which mm-hmm. I mean, you said there's giants in the Bible. There's giants in every mythology ever known to man. I mean, mm-hmm. Native American, Greeks, Norse. I mean, there's giants in everything. It's just, I, yeah, I it mean, is I, what it is, right? I mean, yeah. they're, they have to be there for a reason. They, they just have to beyond just a, a dream that we've all dreamed. It, it seems like something would have caused those stories. And there's, and there's so many versions of giants in different tales and legends. And it's just, it has to exist to some degree. I mean, and mm-hmm. plus as Heather said on your show, they have found bones in the past. I mean, the government usually makes them disappear as best as they find them, but they find them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're probably all sitting in the Smithsonian basement or something, but <laughs> I, seems like it yeah yeah right but, but i mean it's just and it even goes back to bigfoot with that because gigantic kids or i can never say it right but mm-hmm. you know what that's I mean, a mouthful but, yeah i do i mean because that was the original theory i always heard for bigfoot was that it was a homo it was around the same time as homo sapiens but they thought homo sapiens killed it out but what if they got good at hiding like everything else that Mm-hmm. humans try to kill what have we got good at hiding yeah but i don't know with bigfoot there's so many theories i can't stick to one but i know yeah me either all right well i think it's time we jump over to creature feature because i've okay. been looking at my i've been looking at my list out of the corner of my eye for the last few minutes and i've got <laughs> some ideas for you okay and we kind of touched on this first one but I'm just going to say it because I'm hoping it's something that Small Town Monsters gets to go international for someday. Oh, boy. Yes. And that's Mokele Mbembe. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, yes, you guys kind of touched on Living Dinosaurs with your Thunderbird movie a little bit, but, I mean, there's Mokele Mbembe down in the Congo. There's the tribe in South America that worships raptors that live in the forest. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what's your thoughts on uh, Living Dinosaurs? And could they exist? Well, I I am completely open to the possibility that there could be some relic dinosaurs, especially in the places where they're reported. You know, um, and the work of, I think it's Roy Mackel in particular in, in looking into the Mokele Mbembe. Uh, it just seems like these are such remote places and uh, places separated off from reality, um, the, you know, the, the so-called civilized world, uh, that there, there's no reason why not 
there couldn't be some some leftover they'd have to by nature be pretty small populations at this point but um i i just think you know really there on the likely the likelihood spectrum they fall on the the strong end to me uh that it just seems quite plausible and you mentioned before like the mastodons in the uh, out in the tundra uh, who's to say that they're they're not there um the the thing that that potentially could change all that of course is uh the climate you know could have certainly a, a huge impact on on some of, some of those relic dinosaurs uh where where they're at and that uh, could spell the end of them but yeah i'm i'm very open to that i i think they have all of the resources that they would need in order to live their lives largely unbothered uh, by human by humanity and that's probably the one thing above all that they would need to survive is just to be yeah. left alone i mean we've all seen what happens in Land of the Lost and Jurassic Park and all the other movies where dinosaurs are going to be alive. I mean, right, right. I mean, and Macaulay and Bembe, especially because he's supposedly a plant eater. So he's not going to be, he's not going to be going to African villages and kidnapping kids and eating them. I mean, right. He's, he's wants to sit in his river or pond, what stream, whatever it is, and Mm -hmm. eat. I mean, yeah, apparently he likes to kill a hippo that gets in his way every once in a while, but that's just territorial, I think. I don't Mm -hmm. think that's for food, but yeah and but that also brings president to the whole hollow earth theory because what if that's how they exist still what if that's where mm. the pterodons and pterodactyls that we think are as thunderbirds are are just hanging out when they're not flying around kidnapping yeah. kids off the front yards like in a, <laughs> right like in a famous mysteries and monsters uh monsters and mysteries in america segment mm-hmm. but <laughs> yeah which that's yeah. based on true that's based on true story and i've talked about it on this show before like it's interesting and we oh, also yeah. just covered this in my other paranormal podcast, uh, Global Strangeness, the other week. We we're, we're kind of like Monsteropolis on that show. We pick a topic each week, or we let the audience mm-hmm. pick a topic, and we do that one the next week. But anyway, that kind of satisfies that one. Okay. So, you think you guys are going to South America to look for raptors anytime soon? <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't blame you. You're not going to be sitting there like, whoa, blue, whoa, blue, back up. Like yeah, it's not, no. it's not gonna work in real life, I don't think. Right. But, That's, it's the wrong group to to put in front of a raptor for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh so what do you I mean, you guys covered this somewhat, but what are your thoughts on the origin of skinwalkers? Uh well, um yeah, we really got into that topic, and I think that the origin of them uh, is pretty clearly in the sort of the black magic realm of uh, indigenous people and native Americans. Um, It seems to be when they have been willing to talk about it with um, European people, it, it sounds as though that really is getting into some, uh, what would you say? Some some evil areas as far as what is necessitated to become a skinwalker. Uh, you're targeting somebody 
and uh, terminating them essentially in order to enter into that um into that form so i think that that's um to, to specifically talking about like the the navajo origins of the skinwalker is um ritualistic it's uh may you know to use the term loosely it's a deal with the devil to get base revenge yeah um so and unfortunately i think unfortunately that that term now sort of means a catch-all term for a whole bunch of weirdness because of its attachment to the skinwalker ranch yeah and, uh you know it's i it's become so sort of loosely applied to everything that the specific nature of the the real skinwalker lore has been lost and i think that's a shame uh it sort of does a disservice to what that started out as so that's that's sort of my thoughts on it yeah i mean i agree as much as i love the secret skinwalker ranch i do love that it's a good show but yeah and i've been trying to get brandon fugel on here but he hasn't responded he hasn't responded to the tweets like you were nice enough to do so yeah Yeah, uh, but eh, uh, hopefully someday. I mean, I, I'd love to actually talk yeah, to them about like absolutely. what they discovered on uh, discovered on that ranch. But yeah, because that ranch itself is just has a fascinating history throughout the to the mid eighteen hundreds when it was first. It does built, yeah. like really does. Yeah, and my first exposure to that whole story was uh, Kelleher and Knapp's book, you know, Hunt for the Skinwalker, which yes put that place on the map originally, and. Uh, that that book i will say does a good job of talking about the skinwalker origins that that we were speaking of and saying that um you know that that it's the uinta basin and the utes as a tribe um and their uneasy uh interactions with the navajo that led to you know a lot of bloodshed and unfortunate things happening in that region of the country yeah i mean you know, human history is filled with that in every area of the world yeah exactly 100%, 100%. which actually funny enough just to jump back to dinosaurs for a second because one of the first people i interviewed on the show is an author named brandy alexander and she's a christian author but she mm-hmm. wrote a parent she wrote a paranormal book the first one in a series she's writing it's called genesis a paranormal alliance destined to fight the forces of darkness hmm. and basically in synopsis it's a book about demons trying to uprise on earth and take over people that are certain people and it's a basic demon uprising tale but it's a boy who can talk to spirits that can help it's, it's trying to stop it yeah but the, inter- the reason i wanted to bring it up to you is the interesting part is she actually puts that the they say the last time the demons broke out of their lock in hell was when the dinosaurs all perished. Hmm. And that's, that's why I found interesting. And it is that yeah. she actually, I said it on my show, like you actually gave a biblical explanation for dinosaurs disappearing, which yeah, in the Bible, I, I mean, I read the Bible when I was a kid, it's been 25 years, but okay. There is no actual like explanation for dinosaurs in the Bible. Right. Like as far as we know, yeah, there's a few a few passing references to very large creatures. 
uh, in some of the wisdom literature in the, the behemoth is one yeah. that's referenced, but yeah, it doesn't really, it, it's sort of a tangent rather than painting a real detailed picture. Yeah. Which I mean, it's interesting because I mean, that's when I was younger, that's one of the reasons I immediately like, that's what that was always one of my excuses when my grandfather requested me about why I'm not religious anymore. I'd be like, explain dinosaurs <laughs> but, mm -hmm. i mean he never could obviously but yeah it, or i mean i think one thing he always said was oh that was before the bible time we don't know what hmm. happened because that, that was before the bible time yeah but then but then again in sunday school i used to see picture i used to see paintings of the garden of eden with dinosaurs in it so i don't know. oh right right yeah <laughs> like, everybody's got their own views they put in their art but yeah just... absolutely right that's right so, what do you think about goat men or like the public monster? I mean, in a world where there's uh, Bigfoot yeah. and, and sheep squatches, do you think that <laughs> goat, goat men could exist? I mean, it seems, on one hand, I mean, it seems unlikely. Uh, the other, on the other hand, I think, uh, it's quite possible, you know, and it all, I guess it depends on how long people had their sighting. You know, if they had a, if they saw a glimpse of something running through the woods, it's quite possible to misidentify things. You know, your mind fills in the blanks and, yeah. and you don't know what you saw. But if somebody saw this in broad daylight for five minutes, <laughs> you know, well, I don't know I mean what to say at that point, except they, they, are convinced they saw that thing. Uh, now, what is it is, of course, the million-dollar question. But um, I've had that experience, not not specifically Goatman-related, but, you know, sitting down and talking with people that seem absolutely reliable, you know, that I would, would trust in almost every situation, and they're telling me they saw something that just doesn't make sense. So you have choices at that point, you know, do you yeah. disbelieve them or do you believe that they think they saw what they saw or did they really see that? And yeah. that's kind of what you're left with. So I don't know. I mean, a, a goat man seems to be like what we were talking about earlier, something that stepped right out of mythology. You know, the Cedars, pages of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, into this, into our world. So I guess for, for a John Keel, that'd be a slam dunk, right? He'd just say, well, that was clearly an ultra terrestrial and he, he came through the portal for a while and went back through, but, um, but yet you got I, the public monster chasing cars with axes with like holding an ax. Yeah. Which, which right. the public, I mean, the public monsters, people say it's like a accident gone wrong, like a scientific experience. Oh, like, yeah. like they say it was maybe escape from a lab or something, mm -hmm. but I mean, with, out of all the Goatman stories I've heard, the public monster is one that just like resonates in my head because there's so many sightings of it, and pe a lot of people do pass at the public trestle. But is that because of a train, or is that because of a Goatman, or is that yeah suicidal relating? I mean, who, right. who knows? Mm -hmm. But it's just I I don't know. I mean, I believe in Goatman more than I believe in Sheep Squash. That's all I can say. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, it makes yeah, more that's sense. Fair. That's fair to say. Sure. Especially because I've seen pictures of sheep squats wearing overalls, which I'm like, come on now. <laughs> that just yeah. makes it that makes it less believable. Right. <laughs> like you don't see pictures of you don't see Sasquatch does... wearing overalls in the woods. No. Yeah. Where does he shop? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> but eh, this one actually, yeah, okay, because this also ties into you being a reverend as well, because this has a mm-hmm. religious background. Mm-hmm. Do you think there actually could be a chance that vampires exist or ever did exist? Hmm. Well, I think, um, I, yeah, I mean, the answer is yes. I, I think there are, at the very least, what we are, the facts are, there are people who are convinced today. I mean, there's people in the modern era who are convinced that they are vampires and that they need to drink the blood of other people, even if it's not like drink it till you die and yeah. all of their life force goes into you. They want to taste your blood. And they think that it's doing something for them. Now, I think a lot of those stories do come out of um, a time in history where, you know, death and famine and disease was rampant. And so the idea of becoming a, a, a sort of the living dead was constantly almost on people's minds. And when the plague was yeah. ripping through Europe, for example, um, that was just the world in which people lived is that their loved ones were, were perishing and that they were often just disposed of in rather um, unfortunate ways, which is an element of the vampire legend. So I think a lot of the, the vampire history and story grows out of, you know, our fear of and our fascination with death. And that maybe if I can make a deal with death, then it won't consume me, you know, or if I die physically, there's a way that I can keep on existing. The, the will to live is so powerful that, you know, we invent stories like that. So I, you know, in the Count Dracula sense, I'm not sure. I, I have my doubts, but certainly um, it must be said that there are people who in almost sort of a romantic sense, yeah. Wish they were vampires and kind of act like it. Well, I mean, vampires have been romanticized so much over the last 30, 40 years that it's, I mean, they're always the hunky guys or the yeah. beautiful the beautiful yeah. women in skin tight clothing. Like, it's just the way it is. But yeah, absolutely. But the one case that always sticks in my head for vampires, and this is why it's on my list, actually, is the Highgate vampire in London, mm-hmm. which has had sightings to this day in Highgate Cemetery, and I mean, it's been seen for hundreds of years, so yes. I don't know I don't know what to make of that. I mean, mm-hmm. is it possibly just a spirit that's stuck in the cemetery, and people have been adding stories to it to make it more interesting? Yeah, but... yeah that, that, that's, that seems plausible to me. I mean, that's uh, you know, once the story gets told, um, you're always going to have people who... Add it's to like it, a, right. It's like it's like a game of telephone. Every 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 person mm-hmm. adds on a little soft detail at the yeah. end of it just to make it a little more interesting. But right, yeah. So I mean, I don't, I don't know. But in a world where there are dogmen who are what people called werewolves for thousands of years, if if werewolves exist, which I hate that word, but if werewolves yeah. exist, why wouldn't the other one exist? That because I mean, mm-hmm. the legends had to come from somewhere and. I've heard stories out of Romania in that area too, where they, where it all began, that they still believe in this. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't 
necessarily think it's a count that lives in a big castle and, and right. is like had a, has everybody scared to death of it. But I think it's just I don't know. Maybe they do exist. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, my favorite Stephen King book, right there, Salem's Lot. Right. When the when the I forget his name always, but the main vampire says to the priest, w- w- "I I was around when your when your people were still smearing fish on their chests and hiding in caves." Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I love that line. Like, it just yeah mm, makes me want makes you want to believe. <laughs> but mm-hmm. It's yeah. hard. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. All right, I think I'll do one more, and then I'll free you from creature feature okay. and. <laughs> We'll wrap up, but all right. Mm, let's go with Mer People because that is honestly something I don't recall being talked about Monsteropolis in detail. At least, I mean, it may have been talked about in passing in one episode, yeah. but I because I mean, Mer People have the, once again legends have been around since mythology times of of Mer People and Atlantis and all that, so. What do you what do you think is the possibility of actual mer people? Well, I don't <laughs> I don't know. It's um one thing I if we did talk about it on Monstropolis is probably in relation to Atlantis because there was some Atlantis talk at some point. Yeah. Um I've something that sticks in my mind and this is probably in one of those books that you and I have both read like the readers digest compendium of unexplained topics or whatever those were, you know, would put forth the explanation that like a manatee is what sailors were seeing. And that always made me laugh because, you know, you'd have to be pretty, you'd have to have been at sea for a long time to look down and see a manatee and think, Ooh, (laughs) there's a woman for me there. Um, That just doesn't, that doesn't square. Um, you know, I, I, do those really exist? I, I just, that's one that I have my doubts about simply because I don't know how that would work biologically. You know, is that a case where that would be, that'd be like a seal, that'd be like a mammal, uh, that would, or would there be some way in which the, they develop gills and be able to breathe in the water. You know, how would they survive? Sort of those, those basic questions. Yeah. I mean, kind of keep me from, from really saying that it's, that's, it's a definite possibility. I, I, I just don't know enough about how that would actually work. But yet in South America, like they tell stories all the time to this day of that. Like, Oh oh, my 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 uncle, my grandfather saw a mermaid on his fishing when he was on his fishing boat once. Like sure, and I don't know. I mean, I would think if they did exist, they'd have to exist since the beginning of time. They were, they were just a creature that evolved in the water and eventually. Or I mean, it also lends credence to what if things like selkies are real, like creatures that can transform to human yeah. that live in the water, because then. Mm-hmm. That's what people are seeing. Then is they're seeing the human transform, but then they see it go in the ocean and disappear, and right. they just yeah gave it a name. But mm-hmm. I mean, I and then well, and what, right, and Japanese legend, you know, you have the kappas, which is yeah. kind of the same thing in a way. I mean, that it's a humanoid, but not human, yeah, and definitely at home in the water. 
and uh yeah and some of those south american stories you know the amazon and so forth they're it's really interesting because so many of those are tied into um they're tied into stories about faithfulness and family and like being led astray and like uh you know like uh a man sees this beautiful woman by the river and he's, he's lured into, you know, into her charms, but it turns out she's actually, um, you know, some type of fish or a, a, a woman in disguise, like you were, were saying. So I, I always look at sort of what the story is saying too. And I think there's, there's something about water, certainly in our, our deep memory as human beings that has to be at work uh, when we tell these stories and when people have sightings of, of whatever is that, you know, we're, we're drawn to water. We don't, we don't do that well in it ourselves, but we sense that there's, there's something about that that we want to experience. I mean, yeah, since the beginning of time, mankind lived near water sources. They never, mm -hmm. because they need water. So, I mean, we've been living near water since we first crawled out of a cave or crawled out of the ocean, wherever you want to believe. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. and, but it does tie back to Atlantis in a way, because, I mean, what if the people of Atlantis were scientifically advanced, like, yeah. I believe, like I believe Plato said they were, if I'm thinking of the right philosopher, but and, I mean, supposedly he went to Atlantis and Atlantis fought Greece at one point, according mm -hmm. to his writings. But so maybe they made themselves evolve and get larger and eventually uh, get more equipped to live in the water. And yeah. when, when their city did get destroyed, that's yeah. how they survived. And they just spread out through the world and reproduced eventually. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating. I, I like that almost better than anything. Anything I mean, else as an explanation. I mean, I've been going by that theory for a long time since I read mm -hmm. it in some book when I was a kid, but mm -hmm. I do I do have to say Futurama did that perfectly. But <laughs> right. But the but the yeah. city of the city of Atlanta. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. I lied because this is a there's one more there's one more I don't even want it's not even a cryptid, it's just a paranormal topic. But Okay. And it it was first brought to my attention, and I think a lot of people's attentions by Monsters Among Us podcast because he started getting calls in about these things, and he gave him a name, which, and I don't recall Monsteropolis ever bringing these up, but I could be wrong. I mean, that's a hundred something episodes to have to remember. Yeah. So yeah, but mirrored men. Hmm. Have you heard of that phenomenon? I can't say I have. That's uh, not ringing a bell. Well, they're usually cited in rural or in places where civilization is very spread out. And they are three men, all dressed similar in suits usually or something like that. But they have been seen with different attire, depending where they're seen. And they walk in synchronization. Every move one makes, the other one makes. And they mm -hmm. walk in a row. And a lot of stories people call in about these types of encounters they're staring out a window or something at their house. Like a lot of them were kids when it happened and they'll be staring out the window. It'll be 10 o'clock at night, nine o'clock at night, whatever. And all of a sudden when they could find, when they finally just turn around, look at the clock again, after seeing these creatures, it's four or five in the morning. Like 
a lot of time loss, which, yes, I know that lends credence to aliens as well, but, but I mean, I, Mirrored Men is just one of those new topics that, like, since he started doing those calls in his show, I've been hearing about them more and more everywhere else as well. Some other podcasts have covered it as well. I'm pretty sure Blurry Photos covered it, and then a couple other ones I've heard talk about it, but it's just interesting, because could it be aliens, or could it be men in black, or who, I mean... Mm -hmm. So, this is one... I actually stumped um, someone from Small Town Monsters. I am proud of myself. I am proud of myself. (laughs) No, that's good. I mean, it's... uh, I haven't heard about that, that precise phenomenon. I mean, what it makes me think of is some of the stuff like with uh, Joseph Smith and and Mormon background, having people in suits sort of approaching you, <clears throat> you know, back in the time when and Joseph, Joseph Smith as the leader of the Mormons was just getting started, uh, having sort of these random encounters with, with people um, just showing up on your doorstep or in, in largely rural settings. Uh, that's the only sort of correlation that I drew when you were describing that. So that's, which is uh, that's it's, pretty wild. That's interesting because I never even heard that about Joseph Smith. And I yeah, mean, yeah. I've, I've I've heard a lot about the man because I mean he was an interesting man for sure. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of confirming things that would happen, like with uh, here in the where I'm in Ohio, I'm close to Kirtland, which was sort of a, a development point for Smith after he left New York. And um, there were people who told stories about having dreams about people showing up and then the next day being visited by two or three strangers who told them that they had that dream, you know, and that being part of the part of the Mormon sort of um, origin story in Northeast Ohio. So that that's what I'm referencing there. Okay, that does sound a little familiar, but I yeah. don't remember. I remember that ever being tied to Mormons. I heard about that happening to other yeah. people, but in, yeah. in like past. But, but yeah, I mean, it's a f- interesting phenomenon because I mean, there's also been stories I've heard where people have seen them hiking in the woods, and oh, it'll wow. be the it'll be the middle of the day, and they're hiking, and these three men will walk, these three humanoid male figures will walk by, and all of a sudden they come to, and it's dark out, it's nighttime, mm-hmm. and they're in the middle of the woods, and they're like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if it was a one-off story, I heard about this. I never would believe it was true, but mm-hmm. I've probably heard. I mean, on Monsters Among Us alone, I've heard fifteen to twenty different experiences with these creatures. Wow. Yeah. So, hey, I might just give you guys an idea for Monsteropolis episode. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> that's great. That's great. We're always looking for something new to talk about. That's that's definitely it. Yeah. Mirrored Men, and then the um, not the I I want to say plaid shirt man, but I know I'm wrong. Uh, it's uh, like a shadow person type entity. Yeah, the plaid man. Yeah, it's a man. It's a man or spirit that appears wearing like a plaid shirt always, and he's been a lot of people have like woke up in the middle of the night and he'll be standing in the doorway. That's that's another one that Monsters Among Us like brought brought to me, but okay, yeah, and uh, there's another one too, but I can't think of it. It's, I don't know. It's a. That's I'm trying to get Derek. I should be having Derek Hayes on here in August too because it's oh, a nice. dream. 
Like they yeah. they actually they actually gave me a shout out in the Monsters Among Us group today for like the oh, cool because every Wednesday they shout out somebody who does like something in the paranormal world. Yeah. And amazingly, this week it was me, and I was like, "Oh my god, sweet, <laughs> <laughs> that's great!" But it's like it's just wow. I mean, it's amazing. But, that's really awesome. Yeah. I can't think what the other one is. I can't. Well, anyway, it would take me a long time to sit here and think of it because I haven't okay. heard a story about it in a while, but. I thank you so much, Mark, for coming on. It's been an oh, honor. Welcome. Honor. Yeah, I, I I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's great talking to you. Um, and uh, thank you for supporting STM the way that you have. I, I appreciate that very much. Oh, I yeah, it's one of the things that got me that got me back into paranormal after a decade of just getting out of it because of life. Yeah, and yeah, not not having time and or thinking about it. I mean, I still would watch the random documentary, but. Other mm-hmm. than that, like podcasting got me back into it, and Small Town Monsters was half of that that got me back into it. Awesome. So yeah, very good for all the listeners. You, uh, we've said it multiple times, but you could find Mark on Monsteropolis on Sasquatch, which just started again a couple yeah. months ago, I believe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Which I, I couldn't find that on Spotify though when I looked for it like a month or two ago. But oh, really? I'll have yeah. to look again but okay because <laughs> i mean i i was dying to hear it and then like i looked around spotify for it and i was like why can't i find it but mm-hmm. I, I don't know but and of course you could find him on most small town monster productions i believe i mean have you been in every one or am i mistaken i haven't been in every single one but uh i've been in almost every on the trail of okay. um the only there's an exception in there i can't remember but it is. <laughs> but yeah, I've had I've had a at least a, a little bit of a, if nothing else, sort of an advisory role in most of the projects. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, as knowledgeable as you are about a lot of these things, I could believe that. So I mean, I could I I know that for a fact. But mm. and when is Seth coming back to Monstropolis, if ever? Uh, that's that is maybe the biggest mystery of all. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Seems like seems like he's been gone since like Christmas. <laughs> yeah, no, that's about right. That's about right. I I remember him telling uh, about talking about um. Oh my God, how am I forgetting the freaking thing? Krampus, Krampus. Why do I want to say I want to say Krakoa for some reason? I'm like I don't know why. But <laughs> yeah, Krampus. Yeah, I yes. yeah. That's, a, that's that was the last episode I think I heard him on. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but that, I mean, like I said, you the combo of you and Heather together has been like a nice. I mean, it seems like a lot less. It seems like a, they're still joking around, of course, because that's always going to happen yeah. on a good on a good podcast. But right, it, it's more focused on like history and everything too, as well, which mm-hmm. is great. It's great. Yeah. I mean, I learned so much from from Monsteropolis every freaking time it, an episode comes out. So, oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Include including if you go to Alaska, plan to be sick for a day. Hmm. That seems right. <laughs> kind of the rule rule of thumb, but. Thank you. Uh, any other any other place that you want any, or any other um, thing you guys do that you want to shout out? Social no, thing? I mean, that pretty or much it. does it. I mean, we're everywhere. Uh, Small Town Monsters, STMBN is the broadcast network. Uh, it's, we just launched the Small Town Monsters publishing imprint that has its own um, account out there. So just look for those things and... Um, smalltownmonsters.com is sort of the the hub for all of it 
Yes, which I've been on that website many times back in the day when I had to try to find the earliest podcast episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, well, once again, I'm a Mark. Thank you for coming on. It's been an honor. And to all my listeners, you know, you can find me on the Paranormal the New Normal Facebook group. Everything I do is on there. So, and I usually get previews of who's going to be on the show coming up and when I'll be doing live. So look on there and join us next time for another live show.